Here we go. So we're on uh, chapter 6 of Nehemiah, but we are on lesson number 4. Everyone say lesson number 4. The title of our, our worksheet is, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I want you to say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I've subtitled this, Resisting the Schemes of the Enemy. The verse I chose, when our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, they sent a message to me saying, come, let us meet on the plains of oh no. Everyone say, oh no. Oh, no. But they meant to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I want you to say it again because it's so important. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit in this room. This is your church, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, this is your room. Speak to those listening by podcast. Speak to those in this room. Come, Holy Spirit, teach us how to live. Teach us how to walk. Teach us how to grow. Teach us how to secure the visions for our lives. Come, sir, and speak into our hearts and into our ears. In Christ's name, and everyone said, amen. I think number one out of the gate, I want you to proclaim over yourself like I've had you do. I am doing a great work. Amen. Whatever it is, and when you feel intimidated, and when you feel pushed back against the wall, whatever you're doing, you have to say over yourself, I am doing a great work, and I cannot stop. Number one on your paper, life is full of distractions that can slowly kill the God-given vision for our life. Many distractions. In Nehemiah 5 that um, you were assigned to read, you may not have, that's fine, but it was great civil unrest. I'm not teaching on that. But there's one verse in Nehemiah 5 and 19 that I would like to quote because I want to encourage you to quote this over yourself. Okay? Are you ready? You don't have to do it right now, but I want you to do it later. So write on your paper, Nehemiah 5, 19. Just 5, 19. You'll know it's Nehemiah. Nehemiah closed Nehemiah 5 with a most powerful prayer, and I've come to love it. Remember me, comma, my God comma, for good. I want you to say, remember me, my God, for good. And then he goes on to say, according to all that I have done for this people. What he was saying and what we've got to say over ourselves, whatever we're doing in life, whether it's a job or doing something here in the local church, it's okay and it's wonderful and it's blessed to say, you know what, God, remember me for all the things I've done. If you gave your tithe on your way home, say, remember me, Lord, for all the good I've done. Come on, somebody. If you worship the Lord on Sunday morning, say that. If you help someone, say that. I want you to get into the habit of reminding the Lord to remember you for all the good that you've done. So give yourself a hand tonight on this Wednesday night. It's so important because the enemy will try to remind you of bad. The enemy will try to discourage you. And it's up to you and I to say, Lord, remember me for the good that I have done. Here is what we're going to talk about vision tonight. And that's vision for your life. Visions of who you want to be. What do you want to do in life? But who you want to be. The important things, everyone say the important things, are often sacrificed for the urgent things. Can I get an Amen. I mean, what could be is lost in the flurry of what is. 
what should be gets buried under what must be. I do a lot of premarital counseling. I'm not signing up to do any right now, please. Um, everyone just stay single to the glory of God and stay married. Stay, stay where you are, okay? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to stay where I am. But the thing about getting ready to get married about a wedding and a marriage is often they concentrate more on the wedding. The wedding is over like that. And they get so focused on the wedding when they should be focused on the marriage. And let all the married people say, because they get distracted because the urgent comes in and we just got to make sure everything's good. We've got the flowers. So what I'll often say to someone, I'm going somewhere with this in premarital counseling is, if right now you had to get married on the back of Zimbabwe with just him or just her, you know, whatever, you have to be on the back of Zimbabwe getting married. None of your family could be there, and you're going to wear the ugliest dress you've ever seen, and he's going to wear the ugliest thing. No one's going to be there, and you got to go live on the north side of Zimbabwe without any family. Do you still want to get married? I mean, the looks I get are like, and I said, that's the reality. I married the same man twice. And I was young at 18 when I married him the first time. He had trouble. I had trouble. And I was so focused on the wedding. I didn't focus on the marriage. Why am I saying that? Because the wedding is the distraction. It's the thing you think you have to focus in life. If we're not careful, we'll get distracted by the daily grind of life. Can I get an amen? Bills now. Crisis now. And it's easy to lose sight and the main thing, we sacrifice best for good. Just as things were looking up for Nehemiah. Everyone say Nehemiah. Cute little sidebar. Uh, as I said, my friend Joni uh, calls me about every night. And when I answer the phone, I sing El Shaddai. And she sings Nehemiah. And just because she knows I'm working on I me, mean, we, we like to sing all the time. So I get tickled when I say Nehemiah. I need to sing it to you. Nehemiah. There you go. Nehemiah's enemies stirred up trouble. Someone say trouble. They're just days from completing the project. They're just days from bringing this together. You know, sometimes the newness wears off. And when you first started something, you just loved it. You were so happy to be in it. And then it goes on. But what happens is we've got to learn that this was all full of schemes negative, lying about Nehemiah. They even hired a prophet. I mean, you know what? Here's the deal, Britt. If you hired the mafia to come after me, at least I'd see him come with his AK-47. You know what I mean? When he's going to take it to the mattresses. You know, at, at least I would, I would figure that out. But they hired a prophet to falsify. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't think where that was going. Falsify. <laughs> falsify the record. Um, they hired prophets. You and I better be careful who we're watching on YouTube videos. Come on. I know some people that have gotten really messed up from watching people that are preaching only out of the book of Enoch, which is not even in the Bible. Come on. And their whole life is based upon this book that did not make it into the Bible. It doesn't mean there's not truth in it, but we have to live by the word of God because someone can come to you when the sons of Siva um, were trying to cast out that devil and the, de the demon said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who in the heck are you? What they were saying is you're going in the name of Christ. I'm, I'm saying that. I didn't mean to, to camp there for a moment. Be careful who you listen to. 
If you don't know who someone is, someone, I'm saying this because someone called me this week from East Tennessee. Uh, my daughter says to this guy, he's saying all this. I said, that's, that's, that's scripturally incorrect. Well, can you go into it? No, I don't have time. Call my brother-in-law, Jimmy Jr. He lives in Florida. Here's his number. And I meant it because I knew Jimmy would discourse this with him for an hour and a half. Be careful because in this chapter, a prophet in Israel is paid money to stop the work of God. Someone say, oh my. But listen, this is what I want you to miss. Nehemiah is highly favored. We shouted two weeks ago when the king gave him that money for the timbers and gave him all that favor and he was able to leave. I want you to say highly favored. But in this chapter and in other chapters, he has fought at every turn. But we have to remember the king gave him supplies. The king gave him everything he needed. But if you dropped in on this chapter alone, you'd say, oh, Nehemiah, what did you do? Did you not confess something right? Oh, Nehemiah, what did you do? Did you lie? Did you cheat? Did you hang around with those that do? Come on. What did you do, Nehemiah, for people to come against you? He did nothing. The same favor that was before the king is the same favor that's on this chapter. And you and I have got to remember this lesson, or if we don't, when we hit moments of trouble, we'll begin to question our favor. Oh, we feel favored when we get called out and the money's flowing and everything is honky-dory. But when the dory gets honky, come on, somebody, we begin to question. Peter said, think it not strange. Say with me, think it not strange. When you enter a fiery trial, but we always do. We get into trouble with the boss at work. I can't believe this is happening to me. What did I do to deserve this? I can't believe my coworkers acting like Carilla DeVille. What did I do? You know, and in that moment, we've got to remember this chapter, the good hand of the Lord is still on Nehemiah as it was two chapters before. This is life. We live in a fallen world. The enemies reared up and roared up. But if Nehemiah had gone by his feelings, he would have said, I'm done here. The favor has left me. I just don't even feel like doing this. What did we learn last week? Your feelings are unpredictable. Everyone say, your feelings are unpredictable. Psalms 1, don't take counsel with the ungodly. If I checked in with my feelings every time I do the will of God, I'd have never do the will of God. Never in the past or in the present. Oh, no, Pastor Ron, I bet you just come in here like a roaring lion. No, I have a lot of little conversation on that little drive here to the church tonight. And I have learned at the best of me, at the best of him, that I've got to say to myself and you've got to say to yourself, I'm not going to consult with my feelings. The same moment that Nehemiah had before the king when he's just doing cartwheels down the hallway and he's got soldiers and he's traveling through the lands and he gets to Israel and he says, oh, you're not going to believe what God did. And he did this and then I was there and then the king said this and then I said, oh, tell me more, tell me more. I mean, it was so awesome. In this chapter, he has fought. Don't judge your life. Don't judge your ministry. Don't judge your calling. Don't judge your position by a moment of trouble, a moment when you feel like giving up. Surrender to the Lord. Turn in your resignation to him, and he's going to rehire you. Come on, give Jesus a hand clap of praise. So Nehemiah gets a sinister, everyone say sinister, invitation. I'm going to say it at the gate right now. Every invitation is not a God invitation. There are even good invitations you might get. They're not great. They said, come let us meet on the plane of? Everyone say, oh, no. I mean, it sounds like, a Peggy, it sounds like a conciliatory meeting. 
really tune in. I tell you, Spirit of the Lord just, oh, I just felt some things today. Very pastoral, if I can be honest. A conciliatory meeting. Maybe they've changed. I mean, Josh, he's fought Sanballat and Gisham and Tobiah for four chapters. And all of a sudden they go, come meet with us. Let's have donuts and coffee. Come, let's come. Let's get together. Everyone say four times. Four times they ask. Four times he says no. Well, let me just back up. If we're going to go by scripture, I'm just going to play with your mind for a minute. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Well, you should go meet with Sinbal and have a donut. He's hated you for so many chapters of your life, you know. Go. Sometimes we try to sit at a table we are not to sit at and we are not called to sit at. He was not called to sit at Sinbal's table. But if I looked at this just from the, well, the Lord says, you know, I'm making fun of myself, not y'all. The Lord says, seek peace, seek peace. Sanballat was setting him up for destruction. I'm going to tell you something. In the, in the years that I've been a pastor, I've seen sometimes people that people want to sit at their table. And you know why? Because they were mean. You ever worked with anybody mean? Snarky and mean. And it's funny, everyone that was so agreeable and workable, people just wanted the snarky, mean person to like them. So they would, I've seen this happen in ministry too. People would try to get this person like because they were so unmovable. Oh, if you just give me a crumb from your table, you're so mean to all of us. And then all the other people are just being servants. We've got to be careful that we don't aspire to be liked by people that we are not supposed to be liked by. Troubled people. We're supposed to help. Oh, Pastor Rhonda, you ain't talking like Jesus. We're the whosoever tribe, Pastor Rhonda. You forgot who we were. No, I'm not talking about church people. I'm talking about people that intend to take you down. I'm talking about people that have a target on you. We need to be happy at some of the rejections we get. We need to rejoice over some of the doors that get closed. God might be saving you. We need to get out of the high school mentality of, I've got to get in with this group. I'm telling you, through some of my life, there was different, I don't want to go into too much here because I don't want to take up time. There was, you know, groups I would think I want to be part of. And later I look back, the Lord blessed me by not letting me be in that part of that group. Rejection can be a good thing. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that. But Nehemiah was secure in his identity, number two. And that's why significance is an invisible force field that protects our confidence in God. Significance. Years ago, and Pastor Todd remembers that there was a book that came out about 1997, 96, 98. Mama Linda may remember the Vernons, I don't know. But it was called Search for Significance. We could not keep those books on the shelf. I mean, I thought, my God, do we have a plague of insignificance going on here? I mean, everybody wanted that book. I, I never even read it, but I bought it for so many people. But what it was is I and you, you and I, me and you, you and me, we need to feel significant about our life. I need to know my life matters, Pam. That's why people are wandering around with no purpose because they don't know they are significant to this earth. But when you have your significance, I said it's a shield of faith for your soul. So you're not enticed by the wrong thing. You can say, I don't need that. I don't need that. That's right. I don't need that. That's good, Kayla. You know, the significance will make a janitor. I've seen janitors, and I'm not down. I've waitressed like a good one-fourth of my whole life and cleaned for my mama before that. Come on, somebody. And, and cleaned my toilets at my house still. But I've seen janitors 
who knew their significance, and they just walked with such confidence. And I've seen, I know an extremely wealthy person in London that I'm friends with through Instagram that I know through someone else, lovely, but honest to the Lord. I sometimes look at them, and they're so unhappy. They are a billionaire. They married big money in London. They've had so much done to their face, and praise the Lord, bring it. You want to pay for surgery, I'm here for you. I'll get it done too. But that they don't even hardly look like themselves anymore. I'm not being mean, but their significance is down here, and they have all the money. They dine at Herod's. They dine. I mean, I see all these things. I'm not being ugly, but it reminds me, you can have everything in life but if you don't know your significance in Jesus Christ you are not going to walk upright you are not going to walk with your head up high I love to see I saw a grandmother recently that I know through some mutual acquaintances and she's raising all of her kids and they don't hardly have anything and I'm telling you the way she was dragging those kids around in a good way the way she was walking with those kids it's just like she was the queen of England like she was on purpose and I said to the Lord, that's a beautiful sight. I know how poor they are. I've helped them on many occasions. I know what they deal with. We've got to find our significance. Nehemiah could say, I'm doing a good work and I'm not coming down to meet you on oh no. I don't need to sit at your table. People may think your table's great sin ballot. You got some false prophets and governors. I mean, these were the elite rulership. You understand, Nehemiah was not a pastor. He wasn't a preacher. He was the servant of the king who came to Israel to rebuild. He could have said, oh, if only Sanballat would talk to me. Oh, if only Gasham will just, you know, invite me out to a dinner at the Jerusalem acre, you know. If only, I couldn't think of anything else. If only Tobiah, you know, would say, hey, let's get a cup of coffee together, buddy. Then I'd feel like somebody Oh, I feel this so strong. But Nehemiah knew who he was in the Lord. I'd rather see someone that cleans the shoes of someone who cleans the shoes of someone who cleans the shoes of someone who cleans the shoes that knows they're significant than a queen living in a palace who has no confidence because she doesn't know who she is. Come on. It's a good thing. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, it's a good thing. So listen to this. Lies, distractions, doubts, and fear come to haunt us with the question, what real or lasting difference will I make? Whether we're cleaning toilets, leading a country, we should never lose sight, listen to this, of the fact we're doing something for God. I want you to say something. Um, in the New Testament, it says, whatever you do, do it with all your might. I'm not saying exactly right. Some of y'all can help me. You know, do it honorably, whatever it is. Do it without complaining. Look at your neighbor and say, oh, me. <laughs> No complaining. You see, he, Nehemiah was not going to be sidetracked. He said, I'm doing a great work. He put value. I want you to say value. On who he was. He wasn't sin about Tobiah. Put value on who you are. If you put value on who you are, other people put value on who you are. I don't mean cockiness and arrogance. I mean just walking securely of who and where you are in the Lord. And then people put value. We own... Um, some rental properties, and if you own anything, your own house. I get in the mail every day about six things. I want to buy your house. I've looked on it in Google. I didn't drive by. I think that's so funny. I didn't drive by, but I pulled it up on Google, and I want to buy. And I just want to respond and say, not for sale, not for sale, not for sale, not for sale. I don't care how much money is coming, and we need to do that about our significance. My significance is not for sale. 
It's not going on the auction block to the highest bidder. I don't need you to approve of me. I need one to approve of me. And once I know he approves of me, I can walk in that. Give him a hand. It's so good. Before Jesus did any miracles, there was a voice out of heaven that said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That approval came from God, his father. So when Jesus was driven by the spirit into the wilderness, he went on that favor. So on your paper, it says underneath number two, Nehemiah stayed out of the valley of Ono by reminding himself that he was called to what? So distraction number one already filled in is opportunities. We must learn to evaluate opportunities in light of God's higher call on my life. Track with me. Track with me. Okay, I want to become free of my finances. So I, I, I can buy anything I want. That's what Pastor Hank and I used to talk about that. You can do anything you want. People say, I don't want any rules. Okay, well, go down to KFC, pull out an AK-47, just start shooting the ceiling. You can do that. You're going to go to prison. But, but, but go ahead. You know, it's a free country. Do what you want. And when you come to the thing, you think, I can buy anything I want, but I'd rather save it for something important, like gasoline. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey. Lord, the memes going around about gasoline are just tearing up my feed. But, you know, I, you know, I can say I could buy this. That's what Pastor, the older we got, we said we could buy this. But what about this? What about paying something off? What about your goals to walk in Christ? You say no to some things so you can say a better yes. Um, all of those things in life, everyone say decisions. It's the same thing. When, when something, an opportunity comes to you, you ask yourself, does this fit the goal for my life? Does this opportunity make me closer to God? And I'm not talking about like getting weird, like you're going to sit in a patch of a cornfield with kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, you know. You're not going to be weird. Look at your name and say, don't be weird. But here's the deal. Someday you and I will stand before Jesus Christ, and he will look us eye to eye. He won't, Leanne be standing by me, let's say, but he won't ask me about Leanne. He'll just say, Rhonda, what did you do with what I gave you? I'll look him in the eye, and he will weigh out everything. And, and someday that will be true for all of us. That is the goal, not only to get into heaven, but know that you lived your life. It says about King David that he served the purposes of God in his generation. That's one of my prayers. I don't know what I'll do or won't do, but, Lord, just let me serve your purpose in this generation. That's not for preachers. That's for the sons and daughters of God. They intended to kill him, but they thought to do me harm. How did he know he knew, and listen to me, because he had tracked them for four chapters. That's why he didn't go to the table. Stop going to the table with people that have hurt you and betrayed them. Forgive them, but make a decision to go on without them. Forgive them, and if, if they make... How did I remarry Pastor Hank? I'll tell you. I divorced him when he was a 118 cocaine addict. But when I remarried him for three years... He had served the Lord. People knew him. People attracted him. Not just that he preached great, but he had had a change of life. So I knew I could sit at the table with him again. But we've got to stop trying to make peace with every enemy and not allow ourselves to be distracted from doing what God has called us to do. We are to say like Nehemiah, I am doing Okay, well, let's try that one more time. Y'all are making me doubt my ability to teach. <laughs> I'm going to go screaming out the front door. Rhonda, you're doing a great work and you cannot come down. Let me just do some self-talk. 
Look at the top of your paper, people. That'll be a clue. <laughs> I am doing. And I cannot come down. There you go. Okay. Give yourself a hand. That was good. I know. It's one of those things like directions. I've studied this for three days. And y'all were just, you know, hearing it. It's like, you know, give someone directions how to go down to the cornfield. And you've driven there a thousand times. And, you, and they look at you like. Because you're so used to it, you know? That's what I do. I'm like, I'll just GPS. Thank you very much. Um, but at any rate, um, we encounter a buffet of opportunities. Is it not true? Growing up, we'd go to Morrison's, Peggy. And my parents, we middle class preachers. And we always had enough. We lived extravagantly. We, lived, we never owned a house. We lived in parsonages. But my daddy would always get on to my sister. I mean, like she's this big. And we'd go through Morrison's. You had to pay for everything. Anybody remember Morrison's? It was not all you could eat. You paid for every jot and tittle you got on your plate. And, and my dad, I, I hear, <clears throat> Renee, this is my older sister. Renee, your eyes are bigger than your stomach. Put that back. Put that back. They never said that to me because, Britt, they knew whatever I got, I was going to eat it. I could eat the whole family under the table. But sometimes I think we fill up our plates too full with the wrong thing. Our eyes, our heart. Our desire to fit in is bigger than our goals and our vision. If every decision I make is based upon, does this fit into who I want to be? Does this fit into what I want to do in life? Not even do who I want to be. Does this fit into that? I mean, there's some great opportunities. Um, just a few weeks ago, this is not to make anybody feel good or bad. And, boy, I've got to move on. We're, we're with me. We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, let's go ahead and do number three just so we'll feel better about this. We never want to battle our enemy at the place of his strength where he has a strategic advantage to set up ambush against us. Strength. Okay, and let's do number four. Clear priorities and strong convictions allow important decisions to be pre-made. I love that, pre-made. And I'll tell you why that's there in a minute. Pre-made. Everyone say pre-made. I think, um, you know, after uh, Pastor went to heaven uh, about two months ago, just got a slew of invitations to go preach at different places. And, and some of them were great. But I just, without no, 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 no. Because I knew that my heart and my investment had to be here. Sometimes you have to say no to some things because of what you know God wants through you. And that's okay. I mean, let's, let's uh, admit it. There's entertainment opportunities, athletic opportunities, career opportunities, vacation opportunities, relational opportunities. Sometimes the biggest distraction, I want you to say distraction. Because every opportunity comes along at time in some, more, in some moment or some way to distract us. Um, they're wrapped up in a package that looks so good. Have you ever misjudged the way something was uh, wrapped up? Like, you know, door number one or door number two on The Price is Right, you know. And if you don't remember that show, that's okay. But at any rate, you know, like they'll give you, an, they'll give you a choice of an envelope or this package that was just, it's huge. And it looks like it was wrapped at one of those professional wrappers. And you just know what is in there is better when what's in the envelope is $1,000. What's in here is a penny wrapped up pretty. Come on, say a penny wrapped up pretty. And sometimes we are lured away by the way some things are wrapped up in our life, opportunities. And we think, I need to do that. First Timothy 6 and 6 says contentment. Godliness is contentment with great gain. Not great gain, but contentment. Everyone say contentment. 
But Hollywood and all that presents us all these options. If Nehemiah had accepted Sanballat's invitation, his enemies would have killed him. Hang with me. In some way, our, um, our hobbies, our opportunities, our relationships, if we let them take advantage of it, they will kill our chance of accomplishing our vision. If I'm out of balance and my hobby keeps me out of church, my hobby keeps me out of my job, my hobby keeps me in isolation, or my work, or something becomes my idol, I bow down to it, it gets my first attention, my first gift, my first everything, then that thing becomes an invitation to take me out of the will of God. Someone say, oh no. Okay, oh no was 25 miles for Nehemiah to go. It would have been two, three days there because of the terrain at that time. That's why they wanted him to come down where he was. Everyone say the high wall. I want you to notice they want him to come down. The enemy will always get you to come down. An eagle, as you've all seen, if a snake, he takes the snake up high because the snake can't live high and the eagle keeps flying high. We get involved too much in a ground war. We get involved in rumors and scuttlebutt and all of that. But an eagle, yeah, scuttlebutt's an old word. An eagle, a crow, will get on his back and he will peck at him and peck at him. The eagle keeps flying high as he can because eventually the crow loses his ability to be on the high ground. Don't get on the low ground. The enemy always wants you to come down, which should tell you God has positioned you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You were made to rule and reign from a place of authority and a high place. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. He wanted to isolate him. He wanted to get him away. A sheep can't fight a wolf on the wolf's territory. And many times the enemy will get you to try to fight in the flesh something or come away from your place of strength. Your place of strength is in Jesus Christ. But he wants you to come down. You ever just want to fight someone? You know, um, I have. But anyway, <laughs> it'd have to be a small dog because I couldn't beat up anybody else. Um, and I wouldn't want to beat up a dog. But um, it's... <laughs> Sorry. Wants to get you to come down. But what you've got to say is, who do I want to be with my life? What do I want to do? I want you to say, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? <laughs> On your paper it says, the fifth time, send ballots sent more than an invitation. I want you to say more than an invitation. Okay, it gets real juicy about right now. Distraction number two is defamation and criticism. The enemy wants to distract you. If your priorities are out of order, you can be led out of God's will. If I don't know what God wants for me as a mother, as a wife, my, my husband's in heaven now, but speaking when he was still with us, I made decisions based on those things. Who do I want to be? What do I want to accomplish? Does this fit into this, into my goal in the kingdom? And that's what we want to do. But what happened here? He just took the battle to another level. Someone say another level. Defamation and criticism. Anybody been there? What he does is, watch this. This is from Palace Intrigue. He takes, and if I thought about this, I'd have had Susan fix me up one. But he writes an open letter to Nehemiah, and when you did that, you sealed it. You got wax, and you sealed it. And that was a big, cool deal, my seal, send ballot seal. For send ballot not to put the seal on it, he left it open. You want to know why he left it open? Because it was full of false accusation. And he wanted the deliverer of the seal, like the old-timey postman, to read it and read it to everybody on the way. Someone say on the way. And he accused Nehemiah of trying to set himself up as king. 
He accused him of doing all kind of things. In fact, he accused him of what Sanballat was doing. Have you ever noticed sometimes people project on you what they do themselves? Almost always in psychology. I was a psychology major with an emphasis on behavioral uh, correction. I'm still trying to get that in line. But anyway, um, but we learned that um, often that's something you do. You project on someone what you're doing. I think she's always looking at me or I think they're talking about me. He left it open. It was like a blog on Facebook or on the Internet. And here's the deal, if I can just say to you, if you want to correct someone, don't make a general post. And don't say it about the person. Because you know what I see? Because there's some things I see because of things I see. And someone will say something. And people will comment not knowing this person just trashed someone that you love. And they'll comment not knowing what they're saying. That is gossip. And Proverbs 6 says, six things God hates. Seven is an abomination. Say abomination. One of those is spreading discord among brothers and sisters. It's me making Michael dislike Mignon. If I'm always telling Michael bad things about Mignon, God says, I hate that. It's an abomination. I hate it. In those six things, adultery is not mentioned. Fornication is not mentioned, though there's sin. Addicts aren't mentioned and other things. God hates that. But Sanballat was saying, I want everybody to hear this gossip because the purpose was to incite division. Everyone say division. The purpose was to get people that were tired to get off the wall. On the box on your paper, um, you've now moved to, um, I'm going to read what was on number one, um, your first page. God, you take care of my reputation. In the meantime, I'll continue uh, doing what you brought me here to do. Someone say amen. You can't fight everything. You can't cure everything. You can't stop people from saying what they're going to say. People that love you are going to love you. People that are going to hate you, they're going to hate you. You probably won't change them. So you might as well do the will of God. But that box on the right side of page 2 says, Nehemiah did not engage in an open letter war with Sanballat. Lord, if this had been Facebook, they'd have gone after each other for four weeks. Didn't, wouldn't they? But he responded with the truth that they read earlier. You have invented these things in your mind, and that's okay. What you say is not true. He did he responded with the truth, and he did not pray to be removed from the circumstance, but he prayed that pivotal prayer that's so powerful. He said, God, strengthen my hands. I want you to say, God, strengthen my hands. What he was saying is, God, they're saying these things about me, and, and God, what can I do? What he did was he said, strengthen my hands. Get me back to the work. Look at your neighbor and say, get me back to the work. Hey, listen, we first started, let's do number five. Sanballat said, it is reported among the nations, that's your blank, the nations, that Nehemiah had wrong motives when actually it was his gossiping friend, Gasham, who said it. This is crazy. I want you to say the devil always exaggerates. Yeah, when we first started the church, now people don't do this to me anymore, Peggy, because I called, I'm, Peggy, I'm picking on you tonight. I keep looking. You're right there where I can look at you. I'll start looking this way. Um, but, um, but I just know Peggy's, uh, Peggy's a woman of the word. But um, they would come to me and they would say, um, everybody's saying that uh, the worship here is too long. Everybody's saying. So I got smart. I talked to one of my elders that weren't at the church. I said, what do I say? He said, you ask him to name them. 
Oh, who, who are they? Well, well, I'd rather not say, um, but usually it was them and their gossiping Aunt Betty. Come on, somebody. Because sometimes it's lack of confidence that we try to drag a posse into our opinion. Instead of just saying, hey, Pastor Rhonda, I think our worship is, is, is too long here. That, that was not anything anybody ever said. I just, I'm not going to tell you what they said. Um, it's probably mostly about me. But anyway, no, no, no. One. Um, but here's the deal. We get a fantasy posse that we drag in with us and just, just saying, hey, something's bothering me. Can I ask you about this? That's great. Oh, it, here at this church, Pastor Hank said it for years. I say it now. Something bothers you. Come talk to us. But don't invent a posse. And I want to say that about your job. Don't go to your boss. Well, several co-workers are saying, well, no co-worker said it. You said it. Come on. Well, I heard several people are going to leave. Oh, really? Who are they? Well, me. I'm going to leave. <laughs> it's me. Me, myself, and I. Because we don't have the scriptural, which one, sometime coming up, I'm, would you love to hear about scriptural confrontation? It's super good. I haven't taught it in years. It, it's not good because it's mine. It's just good material. But here's the thing. Sometimes we're just scared to say what we mean, and so we want to drag someone's opinion. Um, I've said it before. Um, oh, my gosh. How did I get to 747? Okay. Um, but anyway, everyone say send ballot. He lied. Now, if Nehemiah had let his anger become his focus, he would have been distracted because anger is a focus. If you're in the shower every morning being angry over Bob and telling Bob off in your mind and you've been doing it for 32 days, you need to give Bob to Jesus. You need to stop the imaginary argument. Anybody else argue with people in mind? And then I'm going to say this. To, yeah, thank you, Austin. Then I'm going to say that and then I'm going to. Okay, let me wash my hair some more, you know. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Lord, take it, Jesus. I don't know if you're like me. This is what I do. Take it, Jesus. I give it to you. And then furthermore, okay, Jesus, take it, take it. When we first started the church, a woman wrote me a letter, Josh. It was my first letter. I was young. When I think how young I am now, I'm just thinking, how did anybody put up with me as the pastor's wife? Um, but I wrote our women a letter. Myself, my, probably was the first letter I wrote. And I said, dear Joanne, I would, it was a, you know, a general letter, but I changed the name. Dear Joanne, I would like to invite you to a women's event this Thursday night. I have prepared a special place for you. I have some chairs. I'm going to um, have some dinner. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you. Well, this older woman in our church, she's older than me. She wasn't old because old is like 120 is what I'm saying. Um, the older I get. But at any rate, she sent the letter back to me, dropped it off up here, and she circled every time I said I. And she said, you are a narcissist. You are obsessed with yourself. You are like Lucifer. This was a tongue-talking woman. Lucifer set himself up. I was like, I'm Lucifer. I told Pastor, and I thought, Pastor's going to fight her, you know. <laughs> He's going to take her out, you know, because he was a scrappy young dude back then. He's going to fight her and because um, he was fast, you know. And he goes, no, I'm not going to fight her. And he said, and what you're going to do is you're going to go to her and you're going to say, please forgive me. Because here's the deal. If I had said, we, what am I, a multiple personality? There's 17 of us living inside of me. Or I've got several legions of demons. And all of us have invited you to come. I mean, uh oh, yeah. <laughs> because we want to kill you because of what you said to us. No. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry. I didn't think this was going to be funny. I never know people. Okay. Well, you know, I think she had a little bit of religion in her. And that's what Pastor Hank said. He said, you're going to say to her, you know, this is my first letter I've ever written. I, this is what Pastor Hank said to say. I grew up in English, and we refer to ourselves as I. You know. Yes, yeah, someone named Ron to do it like third person. Um, and so I, I wrote that to you ladies. Not any other ladies thought that. But I'm going to tell you for a while, and you leaders know this. Every time I went to write a letter, it was like, oh, oh God, oh, God. You know, and I told her, I said, I'm so sorry that my letter offended you. I, of course, pastor said, she'll be gone. pastor said, mark my word, she won't stay. But I want you to do the right thing. And, and then I wanted to say, well, when it happens to you, will you do the right thing? No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, um, so I did, and I said, I'm sorry my letter offended you. I'm very sorry you're offended. I'm genuinely so sorry. I was so young. And I said, um, I just, that's the way, I, I don't only way to know how to write a letter, but um, anyway. So anyway, and guess what? She left because she had a problem after me with something with the worship. I remember all this. I remember what she looks like. Her face is ingrained in my mind for all eternity. But anyway, um, and, and then, I mean, like today when I thought, I thought, I can still see her, Lord. <laughs> Jesus, take the wheel. Um, but then she had a problem with something else. And then she had a problem with something else. And then she left. But I knew the right thing. But I could have made that my focus. It did kind of unrattle me, rattle me. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of those situations through 30 years, a lot, here and everywhere else. But if you make anger your focus and you don't get back to, you know what, I'm going to be who I've called to be. I did the best I could. Distraction number three is fear. Everyone say fear. They could not get him to come out, but they found someone on the inside to set him up. So Nehemiah 6 and 10 said, After I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, that should have said everything right there, um, who was a secret informer. Everyone say secret informer. And he says, Come, let's meet us in the house of God. Um, they're coming to kill you at night. You need to come. See, this is the deal why he wanted him to go into the temple. This was an ingenious plot. Track with me. Shemaiah fabricated a story that an assassination was going to happen. He had been hired to falsely prophesy. The only hope in that day is if you killed someone by accident, I don't want to get too Perry Stone on you, but he could make a whole teaching out of this, and we would buy his book, and it would be wonderful. But the deal is, if you killed someone by accident, you could run into the temple and grab the horns of the altar. I'm saying horns of the altar. But that did not fit for this situation. If he had run, because what he said is Shemaiah, Shemaiah, um, I'm sorry, I got to get off that singing thing. Shem <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, I'm going to say, Joni's going to call me tonight and I'm going to say Shemaiah. Um, but Shemaiah, okay, everyone say Shemaiah and get me off of it. <laughs> You're going to go home. I don't know what she said, but I'll never forget the name Shemaiah. <laughs> I'm going to name my next child Shemaiah. So it was an ingenious plot to discredit him. Everyone say discredit him. But they lied. I want you to get this. This was a prophet of God that had been lied, paid to lie. Be careful who you're listening to. He wanted to discredit him. So this is what would have happened. Nehemiah runs, you know, jumps off the wall, Josh, runs like Jack Bauer into the temple of God, grabs the horns of the altar, 
which would discredit him. He would have been killed for it. But beyond that, people on the wall are like, where's Nehemiah? Oh, he ran. He's in the temple with his hands on the altar, fearing for his life. Do you see how that would have hurt him as a leader? We've got to take courage and say, why should a man or a woman like me flee is what Nehemiah said. I'm not going to bow down to fear. Some decisions are hazy and we need discernment. Some are clear as a bell. That's not who I want to be. But some are hazy like a fog on a Sunday morning. And we need the discernment. Everyone say discernment. Nehemiah said something doesn't feel right about this. I'm telling you, when your knower says something's not right about it, you better trust it. Anytime in my life I pushed past that warning, it was devastating. And he said, I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced that prophecy because they hired him. For this reason he was hired, and I'm not going to be afraid. I want you to say, why should a person like me flee? But here's what happens. Josh, if you'll come up and help me, and I'll try to bring some seriousness into these last few moments that we have together. Look at everyone say, just a few more minutes. But here's the deal. What the enemy was, and I want you to get this, was tempting him. Um, let's go to number six. Keep giving you something so you won't grow cold on me. Never underestimate the power of ignore. Ignore. I-G-N-O-R-E. Ignore. I said at the top of the paper, faithful is he who has called you, and he will bring it to pass. Sometimes you've just got to ignore. You heard my illustration. I'm not going to retell it about Canada. I've learned to ignore those voices. They would say to me coming tonight, I'm not going to lie to you. This is ridiculous. There's nothing to this message. I began to prophesy over myself. The other day I gave myself a word. Pastor Billy said, if you ever get a word from me, call me. I said, I don't think I'll be doing that. But prophesy. Someone say prophesy. Speak to yourself. And I began to de declare that because this is what the enemy does. He was trying to get Nehemiah and he'll try to get you to protect yourself out of your own destiny. To protect your life. He was trying to say to Nehemiah, protect it. Because really what he's trying to do is to keep from what God has in you. Like, because this is the deal. Who's going to look out for me? I'm looking out for everybody else. No one's looking out for me. I mean, I'm, I'm just like the servant of this whole crew. I, I'm not being promoted. I mean, whatever that looks like for you in your job and your family. The enemy is trying to get you to self-protect. Jesus predicted he was going to Calvary and that he would die and he would raise, be raised again at the third day. And Peter grabs him by the shoulders and says, this cannot happen. You are not going to do this. this. You are not going to the cross. Do you know what Jesus said to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, that's like Susan said to me, Pastor Rhonda, you don't need to go down to Cucamonga, California. That's a real place. And preach. It's scary there. And, and I turned to her and said, get behind me, Satan. I've never done that. That would never happen. You see what I'm saying? That was the close relationship and he said to him, Peter, you're only mindful of things of man. You're not mindful of God. And sometimes we will self-protect ourselves out of destiny because all we think is the things about man and how it looks and how it's going on. But God says, trust in me and I will make your life fruitful. Focus on what might can be and should be. Stop fearing the bad thing and expect a good thing. Come on, somebody. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise for that and shake off some of that fear. Should you retreat? No. It's messy. It's complicated. It's joyous. It's successful. But put significance on your life. 
Isaiah 8 says, don't call everything a conspiracy. Listen to me. Everything's a conspiracy right now. Yes, the president of Ukraine is probably evil. Putin's evil. But in those two countries are missionaries and women and children and men of God. Don't buy into the stupid conspiracies. I watch Rick Renner, who pastors in Moscow, who also pastors a church in Ukraine. He pastors both, calling for people to pray. We've gotten into so many conspiracies, we don't even know what's true anymore. The Bible says in Isaiah 8, don't call everything a conspiracy. And don't live in dread of what frightens you. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He's the one you should fear. Can I get an amen? He's the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. I'm just saying all that because I've just I've heard so much about it all. And I was asking Lance Wall and I have come to know him. And he's like, yeah, they're all evil. But inside those countries are men and women and children and believers that are fighting for their life. Russia is suffering right now. The Russians are suffering. Never underestimate the power of ignore. And on, underneath that, let me keep going. Remember that when Satan approaches with any of his ploys, he may sound reasonable when he invites you to negotiate with him. But don't be deceived. I want you to say, don't be deceived. Hey, it's not complicated. There's not a step one, step two, step three. Give me five more minutes. You can resist with one word. Practice it. You don't have to say, well, I need, to, I need to pull up a passage from the fourth chapter of the book of Isaiah, the division of the seventh verse. I need to sound eloquent. Don't ever underestimate the power of saying no. I'm not going to debate with my own enemies in my mind. I'm not going to give negative or, ne or negotiate with options that don't fit who I want to be. I'm just going to say no. And even if he keeps coming back and back like Sinballat did, Remember the, ne the next line, number seven. Intimidation causes a person to draw back. Boldness causes one to lunge forward even in the face of opposition. The enemy is trying to intimidate. And even if the enemy keeps coming to you and trying to intimidate you, the Bible says resist and he will flee from you. James 4 and 7. I want you to say keep. Everyone say keep. Resisting. Here's what I want to say. Intimidation was trying to get Nehemiah to be intimidated. The last two go very fast. To be intimidated, to back down, to come down. The enemy wants you to come down. Try to deal with everything in your flesh. Try to deal with everything in your own cuteness. Try to deal with everything. Come down off of the place the Lord has put you, on a wall of his kingdom, his body of Christ, where you work and your family, the goals you have for your life. He wants you to come down and take something that God didn't want you to have. When, when you need, if, if you're single, don't you come down. I don't care if you have to wait till you're 75. Come on, somebody. Okay, that's a little extreme. I don't care how long you have to wait. If you have to come down, they are not for you. If they don't meet, when I say come down, if they don't know Christ and they're not surrendered, Christina Tave, she likes a boy. I'll say, is his life completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, our Savior? I didn't want to know how cute he is. Because if he doesn't meet this, I'm not for it. And that's the way my mama was. But I want you to get this. I want you to say, intimidation wants me to back up, to come down. 
They kept trying to get Nehemiah to come down where God had placed him. And God has placed you in that job. God has placed you in your family. God has placed you in that schoolroom. God has placed you in that factory. God has placed me to do things. He's placed each one of us. And the enemy wants us to come down because as long as we're up in the kingdom and doing what Jesus says and putting significance upon our life, we are going to do amazing things. Amen. Amen. Give yourself a hand. Come on. So here's the deal. The Bible says the righteous are as bold, everyone say, as a lion. And then that's when you say, well, well, that's why I'm not bold, because I'm not righteous. I know what I said yesterday. I know what I did. Listen, listen. I've watched people lose, and I've done it myself through my life. You lose consciousness of your righteousness. That's all you've done. Jesus Christ is your righteousness in God. You just lose consciousness of the righteousness of he who became sin so that you would know righteousness. When you say of yourself, Jesus is my righteousness. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to make a stand. I'm not going to let intimidation back me up. Remember, it says on your paper, be careful who has your ear. Whoever has your ear has your heart, and whoever has your heart has your life. Who is speaking into your, your ear? To get your heart. That's why I help a lot of people. Well, I'm careful who speaks. And, you know, Joni and I have talked about that. We have a lot of, I have a board of regents. We have a lot. But I'm very careful. At the end of the day, I have to hear God's voice clearly. But I'm not going to let someone like a Sanballat or a Tobiah or a Gashom, and neither should you, tell you how you should run your life. Don't let someone from your past tell you how to run your life. Don't let someone's post on Facebook try to intimidate you and tell you how life should be. You've got to say, I'm not going to let these words get in. I'm going to be careful who has my ear, because who has my ear, I'm going to say it again, has my heart. And who gets my heart gets my life. And my life is a life of significance. If I have to stand alone, if I have to walk alone, if I have to go to the job with earbuds in and just mind my own little business and everyone thinks I'm stuck up, I'm not going to mind it. If they're in there cursing and telling dirty jokes, or they're making fun, or they're gossiping, or they've been vulgar, the things that just don't meet up to God's people, I'm not going to be a part. Come on. Come on. It's true. It's true. It's your ear. Now, number, and we're almost, number eight. God marshaled. That means he organized. I just thought it was a cool word. God marshaled an ordinary group of people to do an extraordinary task. I felt this today because it says underneath there, so the wall was finished, and when our enemies heard it, this is all the people that said, you can't do that, you feeble Jews. If you build it, a fox walks on, it's going to fall down. This is going to happen. That's going to happen. But when they heard it, someone say, when they heard it. Don't you love it when your enemies hear how your life is okay now? I, I told you, I went and preached in a large conference full of people I went to school with that just thought I was little divorced Rhonda would never amount to anything. And when I stood up and the power of God wrecked the place, it wasn't me, it was all him. But when he came out, they came running. And I, you know, I was just so humble in the, the anointing. I didn't think, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, look what happened to me. You know, I didn't think that. What I thought later is, when God does a work in your life, it doesn't matter who doubted you. It doesn't matter what they said. In the hard moments when everybody said they're down for the count, when God does it, they have to recognize this work was not of man, but this work was perceived and done by our God. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. Cheryl, it says the enemies lost their confidence. So powerful. 
Okay, one more thing and we're done. Been a great, great night. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So watch me just for a second and I'll give you the blank. Matthew 27, this is my closing. Jesus Christ was upon the cross. And the passerbys, that's what just makes me so sad. Those just passing by while he's pouring out his life and his blood for all mankind said to him, if you really the son of God, come down from there. And it sounds so hateful and, and horrible. And, and Keith, it sounds like such an insult and it makes us be mad. But don't overlook. That was a send ballot word. Come down. Because if you, the devil was saying, come down. If you come down, I'm free. Mankind will stay under my foot for all eternity. The words were being spoken. You see, sometimes what the enemy says to you, even through people that don't know they're being used by the enemy, they're trying to get you off your place. Because that's the enemy, not them. And it didn't stop there. Then the religious scribes, the preachers and the prophets of the day, which is hard to understand. There were some good ones. Then they say, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. and We will believe in him. Such angry and vicious words. Jesus responded with this. Father, forgive them. Eli, Eli, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, don't hold. Oh, let me go. Father, don't hold this against their account, but forgive them, because they don't know they're speaking the very thing to me that would make mankind be under hell's realm for all eternity. Jesus did not come down. He said, I am doing a great work. And that's your last blank. There was another great man who changed the world because he determined not to come down from his assignment. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise. I want to read the, the bottom here to you of your page. This is what I want to say. Look up just for a second. He did not come down and he doesn't want you. He's not asking you to go to the cross. He's not asking you to die except to die to yourself. He's asking you to live, to live for him to put significance upon yourself, to um, resist the schemes of the enemy. Nehemiah just kept getting like whack-a-mole. Every time you see them deal with they come out another way. Then they try an open blog, and then they do this, and then they do that. And he keeps giving it to God and saying, strengthen my hand. He took it to where it matters. Lay your enemy at the hand of the Lord. Lay those things you can understand at the hand of the Lord. Jesus Christ did not come down, and he doesn't want you to come down. God has given you a place in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2 and 6. For we've been made alive in God through Christ Jesus and made to sit in heavenly realms with him, which means when I got saved, I'm now connected to Jesus Christ. I don't have to come down low. I can stay at a position of royalty, authority, and nobility. Someone say amen. So at the bottom of the paper, I'll read it. You can read it silently. I'll read it out loud. Say to your accuser, my value is not determined by what you think of me, but what someone was willing to give in exchange for me. I am the redeemed. I am paid for and bought for by his blood. He knows my end from my beginning. He prepared me before my mother's womb for everything he has called me to. That's who I am. I want you to say that's who I am. So I shall continue to do his work. 
I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, thank you for these wonderful brothers and sisters. Thank you for them hanging with me, God, in the length of this. Spirit of the Lord, thank you. You, you. you said so many things to me in this message as I worked on the last three days. I pray, Lord, you'll help them to locate themselves. Holy Spirit, bring to the remembrance. Let the principles we learned come to us naturally by you, Holy Spirit. You are the great teacher. Without you, we are nothing. We give all glory and honor to Jesus Christ. We thank you for Nehemiah, the servant leader. We thank you for the contemplator shaper that he was. And we thank you that we are called now. And we are doing a great work and we cannot come down. In Jesus' name, everyone said... Amen. Amen.